0: Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hello! Hello! Today, I'm talking to Taz Nichols. Taz is a dog trainer in New Zealand. He's best known for his Facebook page, Lewis Nichols Dog Training, where he has over 12,000 followers. He's a big advocate of reward-based methods, and we got on really well. We both have a lot of mutual interests. We're both big UFC fans and listen to a lot of the same podcasters, so this podcast ended up being pretty casual, which I'm hoping you will enjoy, and let's get into it. So I was looking through your Facebook page and I saw that you shared a podcast with Jocko Willink and Jordan Peterson and I'm a big fan of both of those people do you listen to Jocko's
1: podcast or how did you come across them yeah so I've listened to so when I like basically lately when I'm doing stuff instead of just like um, just having shit on in the background like music or some tv show i'll generally put like a podcast on like the dog talk and podcast I'm... with nick <laughs> yeah. yeah. I <laughs> um, and i got really into podcasts and I'd... i think my brother told me about the jocko guy and then when i first listened to him and saw him i was like holy shit like you're like the manliest man ever you're like a living superhero you know <laughs> have you read his book no i haven't i was looking at it the other day well the, is it ownership like extreme
0: ownership or something extreme like that? ownership yeah i really like that book actually i found it very inspirational and uh i've listened i haven't listened to his podcast but i've listened to his appearance on the tim Ferriss podcast and i've watched right. and the joe rogan podcast and i've watched a lot of his content and i really like his stuff and i, I also really like jordan peterson Although he's very controversial, virtual. and I remember the first time I saw Jordan Peterson, I was kind of like, who is this prick? Like, I really didn't like him, but then I challenged myself, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try and take in a viewpoint that I don't necessarily agree with, and I started watching his videos, and now I'm probably about halfway through his book, and actually I quite like
1: him. I think with him, he's very, like, objective, do you know what I mean? He's very just honest well as he, honest as he possibly can be he also even if that pisses sorry people does <laughs> thinking how he thinks it is yeah he also
0: talks in a way which uh people that read a lot of philosophy often do in which they pr- they talk about ideas and they pose questions that they don't necessarily believe and if you don't understand that then uh you can fall victim to thinking that that's what their beliefs are. Like Sam Harris talks about this where he talk where he he says in f- when people have ph- philosophical discussions they will pose questions in order to get to deeper truths. So for example, they might have a discussion about the ethics of eating babies. That doesn't mean they literally want to eat babies. They're just having a discussion about it because it leads to a deeper truth when it comes to the value of human life.
1: As soon as you start talking about something that people are like, Oh shit, you can't talk about that Then you stop like learning. Definitely. You know what I mean? So like sometimes and you have to, and it's annoying because you have to think about that and then you think, Oh, I better not say that because I know everyone is gonna be like, Oh shit, he said this and then they're just gonna label you with that even though you may not agree with it and you just wanna talk about it and stuff. Yeah, I mean we have we <laughs> have that. Pretty deep but like <laughs> I watched a documentary about paedophiles. Okay and they, they were basically like saying like, like, I need help, like I can't help it. I have fancy kids. Please somebody help me. And they were basically saying like being a paedophile isn't really the problem. It's being the, it's when you like act upon it. Yes. You know? Sure. So, like when you start molesting kids, that that's bad. Uh-huh. But like, they just, they were just saying like, I can't help it. I need a helpline or something like that. And it's, like to be, fair, I felt quite sorry for the guys because they were like, "I really need help, but there's just no one that I can turn to." I know it's bad, I don't want to act on it, so I need help. Give me help. I was like, mm, fair enough.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a re- yeah, that's way deeper than we're
1: to get on this. Yeah, I I said. Really now. I'm going to get labour with that. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I right love out. that. I mean, okay. bringing it back to dog training, <laughs> where yeah. I feel safe. Yeah, where did we go? <laughs> <laughs> a couple so of podcasts a couple of podcasts ago we uh me eric brad and joe rosie had this big discussion about electric collars and
1: i, think I listened to that a bit i think i remember that yeah so that, that was like two months ago or so.
0: yeah yeah so that was quite a controversial topic and we wanted to go deep on it we wanted to really talk about you know what do electric collars actually do how can they be used And really, really go deep on it. And I think that a lot of people aren't ready to go through discussions like that because they're so worried that, you know, if we talk about electric collars and we come off like we're condoning them. Completely agree.
1: And if I'm totally honest, I'd probably say they're the least aversive tool out of all the like the prong shots and e collars. You know? I'd say, like, because you look at some trainers that use them, like Michael Ellis he knows his shit and he's really good at what he does but then I guess if people talk about it and talk about e-collars and they hear like reward based trainers talking about e-collars it upsets them yeah absolutely because, like, you know, like, I feel like there's this divide there's two teams like pro this pro that and it's really not helpful
0: no it's, and, it's like, definitely not i
1: starting to crack, like, you know you'd say balance trainers and positive or whatever uh-huh. I would just say we're all reward based like because you look at the like, balance trainers they're all using rewards really well yes you know? yeah. so they, they are mainly rewards and i guess we're all just trying to shift away from using as few verses as possible and i guess everyone's at a different stage on their journey and whatnot
0: yeah i mean uh labels are such a tricky topic anyway aren't they but i think reward based is a more accurate label than the most of the others for sure and if i'm forced to label myself then i will usually use reward based although it Person. I just try to avoid it at this point because there are so many uh, connotations to to um, labels. And also, I'm very open to talking to people that are from different uh, schools of thought. I'll yeah. happily talk to someone that is, is balanced and have a conversation with them um, on the theory and, and how to train dogs and stuff like that. And... I don't, I don't want to come across as, as alienating people, um, or being like one of these trainers where, um, you know, I'm a positive trainer and if you don't do it positively, then, you know, I don't I don't want anything to do with you because I'm, I'm not that guy, but. Yeah, I
1: think think that's the best way you can go about it and I think, and everyone, I struggle with that. I think everyone's, I struggled with it when I first started out. Um, I was a bit dicky at times, I guess. Um, but now, like, are much more sympathetic and more willing to listen and just a bit less judgmental I guess you know like as soon as you hear someone or see someone use an aversive or not even a like just using a certain tool some people will be like oh my god what's he doing he must be a dick when in fact like no one gets into dog training to be a dick or hurt dogs or do things that they like think are hurting dogs or anything like that and it's more like, oh, okay fair enough um why using that and like, let's
0: talk about it I well I think we can both of us can probably empathize more with people that are using harsh methods or unscientific methods to train their dogs because I mean I know personally that I look back to how I treated my first dog and I was fucking horrible you know I was I really bullied my first dog because I thought that that was what I had to do uh, I, kn- I know you've had a similar experience actually um, with your <laughs> process, Jack Russell
1: yeah, Cassie. Because um, do- I've always loved animals, and we got Cassie. I think I was like maybe 10 years old when we got her, and I really wanted a dog. I wanted a German Shepherd uh, initially, but I'm so fucking glad I didn't get a German Shepherd now. Um, and instead, we got uh, a little, she was like a little Jack Russell mutt. Um, and uh, I got, uh, the reason I got into dog training, I guess, was because of Cesar Milan. I used to watch his show religiously. Uh, you watch someone do something, and you, you copy them. And so I was doing all those types of methods. Um, like I was rolling her over, I was jabbing her, I was kicking her. I remember, like, like thinking back about it now, it was so silly. Like I had When I went to university, I had these pet rats. Um, and when I came back to home, I'd bring them with me. And, like, I got her and the rats in the conservatory because I wanted to try. You know when you'd see, see the man, like, kind of, put a dog in a situation you knew the dog was going to mess up and so like i'm getting a terrier to try and act calmly around these rats all right okay all right then, <laughs> i'm worried you know, where like, this is like, going so she gets like wired and she's just staring at her and i'm like pushing her about jabbing her popping on that lead and she's just so far gone nothing was working she's redirecting it around trying to bite me and i just couldn't like it just, just wouldn't work and it was just a bit of a battle, and then I can't remember what I did in the end. I think, I think she might have just given up, or I might have just stopped doing it. And I was like, "Holy shit, that was kind of rough, <laughs> like very stressful for me, and I'd imagine very stressful for her, obviously as well."
0: Yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, and, sorry. Sorry. Don't I think we have very, very similar stories because. I was exactly the same. I was a huge She's in Milan fan. I had I had a pack leader t-shirt. I went to see him live. I was on his forums. I was deep into She's Milan <laughs> fanhood. I did
1: read a Tech leader t-shirt, but
0: that's <laughs> I read all of his books. Yeah. You know, I, I did it all. Um, so yeah, I was exactly like that with uh, rolling him over and and um, being horrible like that. But I thought that was the way to go. And <laughs> I remember at the time asking lots of questions and the answer was always the dogs being dominant and it just didn't seem to make like I couldn't I couldn't make sense of it you know like I was still completely bought in but I was like I, I just how does this make sense you know this dog is doing this like it just didn't seem to add up um, so, what was the point for you? What was the light bulb moment for you that this wasn't the way forwards?
1: I was working at a kennel as well as at uni, and I was like trying to implement his techniques there as well. Um, and I guess like the more you do something, the more you start looking outside of the box, so to speak. So, but, like Seasonland was the only dog trainer I'd ever heard of, basically at the start. Um, but then I think it was Sophia Yin that uh, I started looking into and Dunbar and I remember at the time I'd read what they were saying and it was completely different and in my head they were just jealous of the time you know so I was like well they know it works obviously it works you can see it working right in front of your eyes um, and then I think there was a German shepherd that that was that kind of scared me and we he was in the, the, the kennel and we got him out and he was just really nervous and so I started off doing like the right thing. But at the time I thought what I was doing was bad. So I was using food. So basically i would throw chicken and let wait for the dog to come out, which is like, you've got a nervous dog, frozen chicken, leave frozen chicken, leave your dog's going to start to go. Like, oh, this is all right. But in my head at the time I was like, oh, I have to use food. And it was like more of a negative than anything. Okay. So then this dog came out, got him on the slip lead and uh, just walked the dog. And I was popping on the lead. As soon as he, if he wasn't by my side, I was correcting, correcting, correcting. So he had to be by my side. Um, and then the walk went fine. So, after, so we had a perfect walk. So, that hill, the whole walk, and then uh, back of the kennel. But the next day, as soon as I came near the kennel, it was like a different dog. I was like, oh, shit, I'm not going in there. And then we couldn't really do much with that dog anymore. Um, so, then I was like, wow, that it wasn't that it didn't work. Well, it didn't work, obviously, but it also made me scared. I was like, I want a different approach. I don't want to have to be confronting these massive dogs you know like in a way that is going to maybe be harmful towards me or them and so then I looked more into Dunbar and Sophia Yin and like I started reading more I guess and um, then I started looking at like the science of operant conditioning um, and classical conditioning and then I started to actually understand how the methods I was using were working if that makes sense and then I was like oh wow And then I think the more I learned about it, the more I realized... And then I started implementing it. And then I just saw happier dogs. Oh, and then also, sorry, I also started learning about body language. So the whole time, it was basically like, oh, look, they're they're submissive. That's how they're supposed to be, when most of the time they're probably just scared or nervous around me. Um, And then when I started implementing more rewards, I started seeing happier dogs. But they they also um, responded as well. So it wasn't just uh, them being happy and doing what they want. They were happy and doing what I want as well if that makes sense so I was getting the results but having a happier dog
0: was there one moment that really stuck out as like a eureka moment or was it more of a gradual process for you
1: um I think it was more gradual and and I'm still learning now I'm still like I guess you're always learning and I I, I think yeah it's more like because I can't give you an exact moment of when I became like that trainer to this trainer it's more of a, a journey I guess and I'm just always trying to strive to be better and like make sure the dogs are happier and like and all that stuff. So yeah, I guess it's more more of a gradual shift.
0: I, I certainly can uh, resonate with that because for me, that it definitely wasn't like one minute I was like a dominance trainer, the next minute I was, you know, you know, a, a positive trainer. But there was definitely a moment where I remember. Uh, I read well I bought Don't Shoot the Dog because after getting in so many arguments on like YouTube YouTube comments <laughs> I was like do you know what screw it I'm just gonna check it out so I, I bought Don't Shoot the Dog and I was like two chapters in and I was like you know Jesus Christ like this I don't know I was just like it was just like a realisation that this <laughs> made <laughs> more sense
1: Patricia McCown. It was that gene Donaldson? I 'm trying to think which book don 't shoot the dog or Karen pryor which book don 't shoot the dog is Karen Pryor All oh, right okay. okay
0: yeah, so that was that was the book that really made the biggest difference for me, but yeah, I was just yeah. wondered if there were if you had any kind of like pivotal a, moments it, like that
1: so there have been some really good books that uh, I've read and thought oh shit that, that's, that makes sense. A um, Culture Clash was probably one that I remember. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's good. And oh, the Power of Positive Training by Pat Miller—that was a good one. That was that I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. The Culture Clash.
0: The Culture Clash is like a classic, isn't it? I think those yeah, two yeah, yeah. books.
1: I quite got it. I was talking about it.
0: Yeah, those two yeah. books—the The Culture Clash and Don't Shoot the Dog—I think are probably responsible for changing more people <laughs> than, <laughs> than any yeah, yeah, any right. books that.
1: There. Actually, there's a book that I remember. I can't remember the author. I think it's Jordan Sumner. It might be Jordan Kaufman, and it's. The Misunderstood Dog. It's a very short, small book.
0: Oh, is, oh, um, is it Rothman?
1: Oh, yeah, I think you might be right. It's very small, very compact, but if you're just like, starting out or if you're an owner and you want a book, I'd definitely recommend that. It, you could literally read it in less than a like, week if you're just being casually reading. It's really, for me anyway, that was a really good uh, book to read. I,
0: I haven't read it, but I've heard good things, so I'll stick that in the show notes so people it's can defi- just, yeah, find yeah, that.
1: You, I'd definitely read it. You're probably not going to, like, learn a heap from it, not in a bad way, but it'd be really good for, like, people that are starting out or owners, I guess.
0: Yeah, people that aren't dog trainers that are trying to yeah. make sense of yeah, this. Yeah, it's very
1: easy to understand, and it's and it's written in a way where it's not too science-heavy. That's another thing about a lot of books. I find some of them are just kind of jargony, especially for the average owner. <laughs>
0: Do you, when you, because obviously you create so much content, like that's how I know you because obviously you're so prolific on making Facebook posts and putting yourself out Mm. there in that sense. Do you try to aim your content more at dog owners and try to avoid that scientific jargon that puts people off?
1: Um, I'm not sure. So like my page, it was something, I think I started it like two years ago and I was just... I just thought, well, I'm going to throw some videos out there, uh, just have a bit of a laugh, <clears throat> and then I guess – because I, it's something that I just really enjoy doing. So like if, if I didn't have any people that followed it, I'd still be doing it because I like to do it, and, it, and it's fun for me. Like just sometimes I'll just get pulled, the, the, big, uh, the big black dog in my, a lot of the videos. It's not even my dog, but I work with him a lot, and I'll sit there and I'll be like, what can I do that's fun with you? And then, I, like, I'll just think of something and I'll just do that. And I think that maybe that's more appealing, just bringing, like, the fun back to dog training. Because um, like, some, some of my posts are just so silly. Like, there's one where he's holding, a, like, a fake baseball bat and then I throw a ball at the bat. <laughs> 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 that was a video. <laughs> just like, what can I do with him?
0: Um, oh. I and love I think, that, though. I think that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, and I think if – and I think – I think that may be what people liked about it, and it's just silly. And I, and I know, like, I don't think I'm that good of a dog trainer. Like, I think I'm good. I know, what, like, I know the basics and stuff, but I know there are so many people out there that are much better than me and that uh, are doing a lot of really good things. So I, I'm not – I feel like I don't really have much of an ego. My ego completely gone. I just don't really care about that stuff anymore, and it's more just like putting out what I – what my understanding is at the moment. And I'm happy to change my mind
0: all the time. That's a really important quality, I think, because so, I mean, so many people struggle to change their mind and in a field that is based around science, where things are being discovered all of the time, you have to be ready to change your mind when you get new information. Um, yeah, or you just get stuck in a trap. I mean, I've certainly spoken to people that, you know, I've asked questions, you know, oh, what are you into at the moment? What are you reading? What are you uh, consuming at the moment? And, you know, they will give me answers like, um, well, nothing's really changed. Or, you know, I once you've seen a few or once you've read a few dog training books, you've read them all. And it's kind of like, do you know what? I think you're
1: getting left behind, dude. <laughs> Joe is really, good. really like, Joe Rosie I feel like because she, she did a con- the, her and Nando were at the New Zealand Pet Dog Trainers Conference two years ago I think and I was talking to her at dinner and she was just saying how she reads like all these journals like just on a Sunday when she's got nothing else to do and like when you listen to her she's so up to date I think that people like that are like really good and for the industry um, but then it's also like I feel like some people get a bit scared of like changing and like scared about finding this new information, which then might suggest that for 10 years you've been doing something wrong. <laughs> I think a lot of people like would hate that, especially people that have been in the industry for a long time.
0: Yeah. But I, I mean, that. you do, you know, like you said, you have to be ready to change because yeah. it's, it's not good to get stuck in a rut. But yeah, on, Joe, on the topic of Joe Rosie, I, I agree. I think Joe's brilliant and, what I like about Jo is, like you said, she's very deep into her science. She reads a lot of the papers and stuff, and then she actually does something with that. You know, she makes her courses, she puts out her Facebook content and her videos and stuff, and she shares that with people. So that science that would have, you know, a lot of the time not really have got much traction is actually being put into the system of practical dog training.
1: And like, they are such hard work, as well. Like I don't know how they like just keep doing it all. They're like just constantly they've got like six or seven dogs now haven't they? <laughs> like, <laughs> and they And two Malinois, fucking pit bull. Yeah,
0: they've always so, got multiple things on the go as well.
1: I think they've just got another Malinois. they found as a stray and they've just like take
0: <laughs> Well that's an interesting topic then. You know, in terms of people that uh people that put themselves out there. I mean, I don't know I know you from Facebook. I don't know if you're if you also do other social media. But are the, are the, who
1: are the people that really inspire you? Um, so <clears throat> I think it, it would have been like John McGuigan. I really like his approach. Uh, I really like his approach because he's very. How do I say it? Um, he's just like you can tell. There's no nothing egotistical or anything like that about him. He's just putting his information out there as he understands it. And he's not scared to like, um, change his own views and whatnot. Uh, so I think he's, um, he's been someone that I've really enjoyed following. Uh, Nando, obviously and Joe Rosie, uh, who else do I really like following? I like following, um, like Michael Ellis again. I really like watching him on YouTube. Uh, I think in terms of like timing and all that type of stuff, if you're going to work with dogs like Malinois, he's a really
0: good guy to watch. Skipping back a bit, when you first got into dog training and you were, you were uh, kind of listening to Sophia Yin and, and Ian Dunbar and stuff. I mean, obviously you had your Terrier. What made you get into dog training? Were you having problems with your Terrier or?
1: I wish I could have her again. Like, she, we didn't even have a lead on her for the last seven years. Even like on the roads, not promoting this, but like at the time, I was young and I come from Essex. Like dogs are just roaming about. We would literally just have our garden, our garden backed onto a big field, and we just left the gate open for her, so, so <laughs> she could just like she used to sit and wait outside for a dog to come past that she'd like, and she'd go on a walk with them, and just come back. <laughs> and she, but she was so well socialized in that sense. That she could be sitting there and dogs would be going off their nutter. she would just ignore them, she didn't care. She would never be reactive around anything. She was a really, really, really good little dog. Um, and I, it wasn't—I think—just she had a great nature. She would do, but there were things that, if I understood how to train a dog back then, that I could have just got rid of. Like demand barking was something that she did a lot, but mainly around me nan and me mum. Um, so what would, you, that,
0: what would you do differently if you were to have her again now?
1: <sighs> what would I do differently? Um, I'd probably just spend more quality time with her. But like, I probably wouldn't... So that's another thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's like, why do we get dogs to sit? Like, why? Is there a reason we do it? <laughs> like, I don't understand why we're always, like, getting dogs to sit, and I think... Christine, she was at a conference in New Zealand a little while ago and she made a good point. It's like we're asking dogs to do stuff that they don't really need to do. And sometimes it can be quite uh, unpleasant for them. Let's say you've got a nervous dog and then you're asking them to sit and then you might even actually be making them more uncomfortable if they're not comfortable sitting, you know. So, like, with Cassie, I'd probably I'd probably teach her a lot more stuff because um, she was always up for like, doing stuff. So I'd probably... I'd probably just play more with that and spend more quality time with that, and obviously be less hard on. Them. Yeah, I think so. That... I probably wouldn't do too much. I just enjoy having a little pet dog that was cool.
0: I think that that's a big point. You know, like I have the same regrets with my dog. I would certainly, if I could take it back, I would have been less hard on him. And I, I prob- well, I mean, it's easy to say now, isn't it? But like, I would have tried to have got to the right information much sooner.
1: And I think that's what's so good about social media is now people can put pre content out for so many people. And Definitely. people can just, and you got, and people can watch and learn as well. I think that's a very powerful tool is like watching someone do something as opposed to just being told how to do something. So that's why I try and focus a lot on video. If I can, if people, not that I'm, saying that I'm really good or anything, but like, if people can just put the little thing, pick the little things up what I'm doing and then implement. That into training because that's another thing that I've learned a lot about, like, or thought about more is how, how important your the way you behave and your timing and all that stuff is when you're like playing and doing stuff with dogs. Just like, for example, tug like, that's a real skill to learn. Like, I don't know if you've seen the video of Michael Ellis with his dog Pie, and then he gives it to one of his students and Pi just like is all over this guy and just the bloke's like out of breath within like a few seconds <laughs>
0: <It's> <laughs> no like I want to see that now on. you're going to have to link me to that that sounds brilliant
1: and it's like this guy and he's just getting thrown about by this dog <laughs> and to the fair I guess if you don't really want to start off with a Malinois if you're going to learn how to train dogs but it was kind of like that was I was like wow but then as soon as Michael took over it just looked great
0: no, I I remember uh, I remember realising that for myself that tug is something that requires a great amount of skill, and I think that when when we talk about tug, people just think you know you just hold on to the end and give it to the dog, and that's it. But it, it's really actually a, a real skill. Like I remember um, I, this was probably before Craig Ogilvie was as big as he is now.
1: Yes, yeah, so- really good i really want to get his book or like I, if i come back to england at some stage i'm definitely going to try and get one of his books yes
0: interactive play guide um mm-hmm. i'll link that as well uh yeah so i he was giving a workshop in bath which is about an hour away from me and it was for um a working trials group and the tickets were like ridiculously cheap i knew him vaguely but i didn't know that much about him and i was like you know what i'm just gonna go along I went along early and I actually watched him present the workshop twice, which was great because I got to see him work with different dogs, and uh, and to be honest with you, like I went home and I was kind of like content, but I didn't really think much of it, and it wasn't until I actually started. Doing what he said with my own dogs and with my clients' dogs, that I was like, "Oh shit! Like this is really important, and like this is a real skill." And now, like, I love tug. Like, tug is so much of what I do. But yeah, you're right. Like, there's a real skill to it. Was there? Did you have a similar kind of experience? Was Was there a like? Was Was sorry? I, I keep interrupting you. Sorry.
1: No, I think we both did the same thing. Um, I think with that I kind of got into it because I love so I really want to get into a search and rescue dog training like I'd love to be able to so I used to be kind of like oh, I want to do IPO or something like that and then the more I watched it for me I just found it a little bit repetitive and I was like well what what do you get at the end of it you just get a trophy if you're that good at it Um. so then I was thinking well I'd rather do something that could be a bit more beneficial for like I guess society <laughs> you know like, do, like search and rescue like I'd rather like if I could save a life with my dog, rather than get a trophy, I would feel so much better about that, you know. And it seems like a lot of fun.
0: Right. Even if you did that once, that is like the ultimate payoff. Yeah,
1: you'd be like, "Yeah, I saved a fucking life with my dog." That was like the ultimate thing for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Um, but yeah. So what? Well, I've gone off on a tangent. So tug. So where have we gone? Oh so- yeah. So I just started watching a lot of um, like tug and stuff, and then. I started implementing with a lot of dogs. Um, And I just started, I guess, when I started working with Ziva who's a Malinois, then I had to get better at tug because I remember just, it was so different from playing tug, for instance, with Porter compared to her because she's just so much more intense. Like, if I had my hand just a little bit to the left, she'd bite my thumb Mm. or something like that. Or, like, if I wasn't still enough when I'm asking her to out, it would just be a nightmare and I'd just be waiting her out for ages or um, just things like that. And then what I also find is people, owners, will be like, oh, my dog doesn't really like Tug. But then I find that <laughs> that's very similar. It's like, it's very similar for people that are, oh, does your kid play football, for instance? And they're like, no, nah, he doesn't like football. But then what all they've done is just given the kid a football and said, play football.
0: Yes, but they yeah, haven't yeah. shown
1: him how it can be fun. They haven't shown him the rules. Like, or, like, if you score there, if you a lot of score, that's one nil to you, and you can have a team and all that stuff. And then kids are like, oh, shit, this is quite fun. And I think it's very similar with tug. Like, if you just put a tug in front of your dog's face, like, what, what the hell's that? <laughs> you know, like, but then if you start, I don't know, like, scattering it along the ground and trying to make it a bit like a, a little hamster or something. Um, what, would, like,
0: <clears throat> what were the things that made the biggest difference to your tug skills?
1: Um, I guess it, just doing it. Like, actually practicing it. Watching... So I've learned a lot, uh, mainly, again, it comes from Michael Ellis, like just watching him, like religiously, basically. But then also, like, a lot of Nando's stuff is good for that type of thing. Um, and also reading about it. What are the uh,
0: tips that you give to your clients when it comes to teaching tug? Uh,
1: so my tips, usually, it's like, don't be boring. Like, my biggest thing is, like, don't just stand there going, puppy, and shaking a tug toy. Like, get interactive with your dog. Like, start running around. Start being fun. Like, I like to think of it as an, a bit of exercise for me as well. Like, if you play tug with some pretty, like, good tuggers, that's tiring. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> if yeah. running around, scattering that tug on the floor, like, having a game. Like, with Paul, when he gets going, my shoulders are, like, <laughs> flung around the place, you know?
0: Um, well, yeah. I, get- I, I, I went think. to a Mondio workshop uh, last year, and I remember, like, after the day was done I was like, shit, my back hurts so
1: much. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine that. So he is is that.
0: this why you've you've been getting jacked, Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> you've been playing loads of tug.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But saying that, I think Christine commented on post a little while ago and she was like, Yeah, we have to be fit in our line of work and I was like, Yeah. But I think you do, like if you you're a dog trainer and someone calls you out and let's say they've got like a rock i went and worked with a working blind Rottweiler the other day and they're powerful dogs like you know and i was thinking i'm struggling here so imagine how like most like little women would be feeling or like someone that isn't like very strong or fit and stuff so i'm thinking yeah we do kind of have to be fit in our line of work if we're gonna yeah i mean i guess
0: especially if you're going into some line of work, whether that's search and rescue or or even like a canine sport, you know, like you mentioned mm-hmm. IPO or agility. In fact, I think in Mondio, if you want to be a decoy, which is kind of like the helper, then you have yeah. to do a fitness test as part of the, uh, as part oh, of the really?
1: sports. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, imagine because some of them dogs are just like hanging onto your leg and you're like trying to walk away. And...
0: <laughs> well, it's yeah, like... I mean, if you're the helper for the day and... You know, you do one dog and then you're <laughs> then you're flat out. Yeah,
1: actually, yeah, I didn't think about that. If they're getting like loads of dogs just on them all the time, that would be knackering.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, there's and like they a take lot of his... some
1: fools like have you, like have you. Yeah, yeah. KMPV stuff is it K M P V or? KMPV? Yeah, yeah,
0: that's right, K M P V. Yeah.
1: They, them guys are taking some. Piss. <laughs> them dogs are something else. Like I'm watching that, and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah
0: definitely I, no, I completely I agree also, the,
1: going on to this topic I do think there's a massive difference between pet dog training and working dog training working line training you know so like I don't really like to comment on like how to train working dogs because I'm just not experienced in it you know like, and I think it's silly to like even try and pretend that I know what I'd be doing you mm.
0: know I mean?
1: okay and so to, yeah yeah so what
0: kind of differences do you think there are or is that a question you don't even want to get into um,
1: Oh, no, no. Like, it's just I'm not going to pretend to be like I could do this and that and all that stuff. You know? <laughs> but I think if you meet a working line German Shepherd and then go and meet a show line German Shepherd, they are two incredibly different dogs. Um, And I think – what was it I was reading? I think on the KMPV website, and I was, there was an interview, and one of the questions was like, what's the – Brutal, like what's the worst thing that's happened to this dog? And the response was, I can't really tell you because otherwise I'd be put in prison. Oh, <laughs> wow, like, oh, crap. What? <laughs> so they're just they're like they must just be bred to be absolute like uh, animals, like just fearless, can take a lot of like stress, obviously. And so, I imagine it'd be just a lot different training those types of dogs, and especially if you're getting a working line dog in a pet home, it just seems like a recipe for disaster.
0: Well, I've been thinking a lot about this recently. Um it's a trait that I've heard Susan Friedman and Patricia McConnell call uh resilience, which is resilience yeah. to stress. And yeah. I think in working dogs, one of the big differences between working dogs and pet dogs is working dogs are essentially bred to have high resilience. You you, you don't want a working dog that easily gets stressed out because that's not a very effective uh working dog. So Oftentimes these things that we see working dogs do, or even sports line dogs do, like, you know, we're talking a lot about protection stuff, you know, where um like a lot part of the the sport of uh, like Mondio IPO and stuff is that the dog needs to not be intimidated by the handler or the helper. Um So uh <coughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like, like, started, wasn't it? So it was like it was. I think it was initially so a breeding like, test, right? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, yeah. like I think if your dog showed any signs of fear or skittishness, or was nah, like, it's not going to breed from it." And that's where you get like, I guess, what like all the working line dogs of today that are just like absolute like beasts. Yeah, they are. They are. And I mean, so yeah.
0: So I think that that's part of the reason that there is a divide between. Uh, working dog training and pet dog training is that the dogs have been bred to
1: have a higher resilience to stress right. yeah, no, 100% I agree with that and I'd, I'd say they're also a lot of them that I've met are just so much more I don't know if reactive is the right word but just onto it just ready to go aroused right. yeah high yeah, arousal right. levels so, yeah. Yeah, highly aroused over just some like with Ziva she's, a, she's a, like a little Malinois. And she could be doing something. And if I just pull out a tug toy, she, I've got her attention. And she's like, let me buy it. Let me buy it. Let me buy hmm. it. And, like, you, I just don't see that with, like, oh, okay, okay. Like, with Paul, we will we'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll play. And <laughs> he's like, no, I'm going to kill it now. Like, there's a, such a difference, you know? Well, here's an interesting... And just, <laughs> <like>, oh. <laughs> just going crazy.
0: So I... <laughs> So I did a podcast with Jane Arden uh, recently and Jane worked with working cockers, but originally she had Leon burgers and she was talking about the difference between when she had Leon burgers between and then getting working cockers that, you know, literally I've met her working cockers. They do not want to stand still. They just want to work constantly and she's developed or she's changed her training to suit that style of doc um, and she talks a lot about uh training with a dog that's in arousal because in her uh well it's her belief that if you don't train a dog like that in a with um high arousal, then you're not gonna have the same uh, level of response when the dog does get aroused. Because I think a lot of the time with pet dog training, we avoid arousal at all costs. But then when the owner needs the control under the arousal
1: because they haven't trained under that situation the dog can't do it I think that's a really good point I just imagine it being so hard to get like to train owners to be able to do that I guess because that's one thing I'm like learning more and more and more is like you literally have to take so many steps back when you're helping someone you like you there's so many things that you take for granted that you forget that you have to teach people you know so like just like you have to start right basic stuff and then go from there. And I think that would be, it'd be great if we could like devise a really easy training plan for owners to to do that.
0: I think that'd be good. This is one of the challenges of, of working as a pet dog trainer that sometimes you have limited time, don't you? Um, You know, if you just, it, it becomes easier when you know that you've got a client that you see on a regular basis for a long period of time. But if you're just doing, uh, you know, your initial consultation or whatever, Sometimes it can be like, you know, we've got an hour, I really need to prioritise the stuff that is going to make the biggest difference. Even though there is like loads of stuff that I could give you to do, actually I just need to pick free because I would really need you to prioritise this stuff. I and
1: mean, you also have to get across to them because sometimes, like I'm sure you know, like some owners come at you with such unrealistic expectations, like and it, sometimes it's like i don't think your dog's ever going to be there like normally for me it's like oh I want my dog to just be able to come to the beach with me play with other dogs and not get in fights and it's like, well, that's really hard because your dog doesn't seem to like other dogs to start us <laughs> you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. and i think what i've learned more as well is like it's a dog's choice whether they like another dog or not and we can do as much classical conditioning as we want but ultimately that's not going to get them to like other dogs that would like, it's up to them. So that's, I think, I read something, it's called a, a evaluative, evaluative conditioning, whereby the dog has to make that individual choice to like something, as opposed to not just associate it with something good. So, like, for example, if I'm watching TV, I think someone gave me this example a while ago, and I see Trump on TV, and every time I see Trump, I get $100. That doesn't necessarily mean I like Trump, it just means I like Trump the outcome of what happens when i see trump if i was to like trump i'd have to actually think internally oh yeah he's not a bad bloke he does this and that and that and then i start liking it does that make sense
0: yeah i see exactly what you're saying i think sometimes i mean that's where expectation comes in doesn't it and also um you know like i i listened to michael shakashio talk about aggression recently and he was talking about um outcomes basically what what outcomes we can we achieve for the dog and he has a whole system that he goes through like a whole uh various criteria um i remember one of them was has this dog had previous social experience so for example um was it previously happy to play with other dogs uh, has it had some... Is there some kind of basis? You know, does it even play with a resident dog if they've got another dog? Has it had any good interactions with other dogs? Because if it has, then we've got a better chance of getting a good outcome than if this dog has only ever had bad experiences with other dogs and the only <laughs> encounters it's had with other dogs have been fights or, you know, have, have been negative. So I think... Sometimes we have to weigh
1: up factors like that in. I guess also another thing would be like what, we, what I tend to see is dogs that are, are quite happy playing with other dogs, but they play in a very highly aroused state. And sometimes, if a dog like that then snaps, how hard are they biting? Like, are they stopping or are they going in for the kill? Like, the whole predatory drift type thing is like yeah. a, a scary thing. Like, And you never know like like the dogs you'll never know what's going to happen you can have a rough idea right and that's like what i always have to try and remind myself i think i know certain dogs so well like for instance porter i've known since he's like 12 weeks old and in my head i know him really 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 well but i always have to check in and be like look anything can happen you know like don't be silly about things you know
0: yeah i mean someone brought this up in our podcast discussion group relatively recently um they said what i this is i'm just paraphrasing them now what they wanted to hear was about mental health problems in dogs um you know do dogs suffer from mental health problems in the same way that people do because i think that we view uh, mental health problems in people in a very different way than we do dogs and dogs aren't allowed to you know be uh have anxiety or, or have these kind of things I think people think that with dogs,
1: like, everything should be curable. And everything is the only fault. (laughs) That whole idea that we need to fix dogs. That's one of my biggest pet peeves when when people talk about fixing dogs. Like, uh, people will be like, we need to fix this dog, it barks too much. And I'm thinking, hang on, if you fix it by stopping it barking, you're breaking it. A dog's supposed to bark. (laughs) Like, Uh you know? Uh And, um, yeah, I think you're right there. The whole idea that things can be cured. And I think... uh, I've read somewhere like with fear, you can never really cure fear. You're always going to have it. You can just manage it better. And it's the same with people. You're never really going to – I hate flying, and I don't think I'll ever get over it and be, like, carefree. I just have to learn to manage it, you know. And I think that's very, very true for dogs as well. A lot of the time people are like, oh, I need to fix my dog. He's scared of fireworks. I need to get him over that. I'm like, good luck with that, but I don't think that's ever going to happen or be achievable. I think then the problem is people, like, start... Because they just want to see quick results. They start using a lot of punishment, and then the dog just shuts down. And then for the average owner, they're like, look, it's fixed. It's not not barking, not moving.
0: I guess it completely depends on the dog's history, doesn't it? And what in the individual dog. Um, Because I'm conscious this podcast is going to be, like, a real... Like, oh shit! I can't fix my dog, <laughs> or I can't, I can't help my <laughs>
1: dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not saying that.
0: <laughs> like these behavior problems, you can make gigantic pro- uh, progress on them, and you really can get great results with them. But you also have to be conscious that just that it's not always a case. You know, if you have a dog that doesn't <laughs> like other dogs, maybe <laughs> how how can I explain it? I mean. <laughs> Not all dogs are going to love other dogs. Um and, and that's fine, you know, sometimes that comes down to management. I mean one of my favourite things is working on engagement. So that works great for aggressive dogs. I'm not asking you to go to the dog park and play with other dogs. I'm just asking you, let's go out for a walk. Pay attention to me. Like just ignore the other dogs. We're gonna have fun. The other dogs might as well not be there. Um so just don't worry about them. Whereas I think I think gonna, like, sorry. sorry. Um, I was going to say, I think that people put this pressure on dogs. You have to be social. No, um, and 100%. that doesn't work it's for like, dogs. I, I
1: think that, all, that comes back to the whole idea that dogs are pack animals and that they need to be like that, you know? So the whole notion that dogs are descendants of wolves, so they form this kind of wolf-like pack structure, which is completely like... No one really knows, like anything about that or as in well, that doesn't make sense no one really, <laughs> really you know no one really understands what that actually means like even like, a lot of people don't understand what an actual wolf pack is and uh, then they start thinking that dogs are pack animals and stuff like that so then we we get into this rut where we're trying to force dogs to be social and pack like and stuff like that and it just doesn't work all the time
0: yeah that whole line of thought can be really misleading um yeah. I'm One really book. People <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm probably getting confused with so many
0: people right now. Excuse myself. We, <laughs> we've all met dogs that would be happier being an only dog. Um, you know, I even my own Labrador. You know, we have three dogs, but he is not the, He's not a dog's dog. You know, he he would much rather just hang out with people. Uh, he doesn't really. Care for the other dogs very much oh, he 's tolerates them and he 's ha- happy to live here and and stuff, but he 's not going to play with them he 's not bothered by them and, and our little terriers they will play fight and they love each other to death but that's that 's an individual personality
1: thing and I think to that with dogs living with other dogs a lot of people make the mistake of thinking their dog is lonely and bored and wants a companion and then usually they'll get another dog to be the companion. And it, they're just like, why is this dog in my house? <laughs> you know, it'd be like, imagine us. Like, oh, we've got you a new roommate that you're going to have to share everything with and do everything with. You've never met them before. Uh, be mates. It's like, wow. <laughs> the shock? You know, and then you get all these kind of issues. But saying that, sometimes it works out great. Um, but then sometimes it doesn't. I think it really depends on your, like I like you said, like your individual dog and getting to know your dog and, like, would they actually be happier with a, like a little companion? And if so, what type of dog? What what am I looking for to do that? You know.
0: Yeah, so many dogs uh, would be happier
1: with you just giving them a bit more time. Yeah, and also with multi-dog households, I always recommend like doing things individually with each dog. So like sometimes I'm like, well, why don't you take one dog out in the morning and then take the other dog out in the evening separately? Give them some time apart, build up some engagement with you, and then. Um, and I reckon that would be more beneficial and stuff like that.
0: So, have you got multiple dogs? I haven't even got a dog. So I,
1: at the moment, I'm dogless. Oh so I'm wow, good.
0: that's unusual for a dog trainer.
1: Yeah, it is. Like a lot of people think Paul is my dog, but um it's just the dog that I've known since he was about twelve weeks, thirteen weeks. And I not who own him. They're just really cool guys, and they're just like, yeah, just do whatever. Like that's <laughs> the same with the Sometimes Doberman I'm that be I. At the pub with Paul and Johnny, i will be like Johnny. I'm at the pub and it was last week and we just had a beer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the same with the Doberman I work with, because uh, uh, I post a lot of videos and pictures and stuff with him. A lot of people think that he's my dog, um, but yeah, I, I've I've got that exact same thing. So I mean. <laughs> I, what's keeping you from having a dog at the moment? Are, are you planning to get a dog in the future? Yes, yeah,
1: so i plan on. To be honest, I want to get either a working line, German Shepherd or a Malinois because I want to do the search and rescue. Um, but I just want to make sure I am completely ready, like in terms of management, in terms of my skill level, um, and I'm quite busy at the moment in general. So I probably will be getting one soon. Like, and I, I would ideally like to rescue a dog. But then I also do want to do search and rescue and do realize how important the type of dog is for that kind of thing. So it's kind of like in my head, like, what do I do? Um, but yeah, I will we'll at some stage be getting a dog. And then I'm planning on just showing how I'm about to say progress, but it might not be progress, but everything <laughs> I do with that dog as they get older, you know? Have you done any, uh, I mean, how much have you looked
0: into search and rescue stuff? Have you found a club or anything?
1: Um, so, like one of the guys I know, I know their dog. Um, she works for uh, the search and rescue Wellington kind of place, and she's just bought a working line Labrador in the hope that she can um, train him up for search and rescue. So, I might go along and try and learn a bit. So, it'll be a completely new experience for me.
0: When was that shift? Then when was that? Uh, when did you shift from wanting to do that bike work stuff to then switching into the search and rescue stuff? Obviously, you mentioned that you think it would be much more rewarding, but was I guess- was there a particular moment
1: or a particular? Um, I guess there's not really much going on here in New Zealand in terms of IPO or Mondia. There's no Mondia, I don't think. There's only there's maybe a club up north, like six seven hours away. Um, so there's not really much going on here where I could probably learn from anybody to do that type of thing.
0: Yeah. So was Um, it like a, was there like a news event or something that made you
1: think, shit, I wish I could get involved and help out? Um, not really. It's more just like online stuff that I watched and thought, oh, that would be cool. But then it was just only about, oh, that would be cool. Like, is it going to be beneficial for me, the dog? Like, I guess like can be beneficial and stuff. But then I think just search and rescue, i really like hiking and getting out in the bush that just became more appealing um and you can do kind of like and i, I just like playing tug really and i guess like that you can implement that into the search and rescue yeah
0: um, yes yeah. so is that like hiking is that something you've been doing
1: since you were young no not really i've only been doing that since i've been in new zealand like because is such a beautiful place and in wellington you can literally go like five minutes in the car and you've got a lovely walk to do um, so, and I guess it's just getting out and being healthy and stuff. And
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine good. it's really beautiful. I mean, I've seen photos. So is, is, what made you move to New Zealand?
1: Um, I came out of uni and I didn't really know, I studied English at uni um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I just wanted to move away, I guess. And, uh, um, I just came to New Zealand and, and, yeah, I just haven't gone back, basically. So did you have your Jack Russell in the UK? Yes, yeah, so it was more of a family dog type thing. So she, when I left, she must have been 12 or 13. Uh, and, um, yeah, she died maybe a year when I was out here. So. That's quite sad. Remember my yeah, dad, yeah. Come not really, <laughs> he was really too, like, my dad's quite like an old, like, gruff man. Uh-huh. And then. Cassie died on a mat, and then my mom was like, that's an old map for an our And apparently he was like, no, we're keeping it."
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Like the sentimental, and then he, got, he
1: got his brother around to dig the grave the next day and they buried her. She yeah. Yeah. Try.
0: Yeah. It's very sad. Um, so when you moved out to New Zealand, how, how did the thought process go to then start becoming a dog trainer?
1: So well, I wanted to, I wanted to do journalism initially. Like, cause I like writing and stuff, uh, and reading but then, um, I just, I don't know, I just started training dogs and it just started, it just didn't stop. And I guess and you just didn't have a dog at this point? No, 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 I didn't. Um, and then I just started the page up and then... So when did you get the opportunity to train dogs? Oh, so I, when I came out here, I got a job in a daycare uh, and I've never really, I didn't even know what daycare was, to be honest. And I was like, what's this? And then, um... And then I got another job at a different day that was just opened up, the one that I'm now like a co-owner of. Uh, and it just went from there. And it, I guess I just was so fascinated with it that I was just constantly reading, researching, working, and just doing as much as I could to like get better and better. And then people started asking me for help and stuff. And because I was just so uh, fascinated by it, at the time I was just doing it all for free. Like, I'd just go and help people and, like, every opportunity I got, I would try and help someone or do something with a dog and whatnot. And then then I started the page with just posting pictures and videos and whatnot. And then it's just gone from there, I guess. So where did you come across the daycare advert? Was there something – I mean,
0: what were you looking for a job with dogs or was it just yeah, chance? Yeah,
1: so I was looking for a dog with dogs. I didn't – didn't, I wasn't thinking I'm going to become a dog trainer. Like, you know, I was just thinking, oh, initially I was just going to travel and work and whatnot. But then it just – um I just got this job, and I was like, "They." I started managing it like on the second day or something like that, and it was just like, just constantly, just working basically. You started managing the whole place. Mm. That's so crazy. Was like,
0: what was it yeah. like a high turnaround or something?
1: I don't know. So it, it just started basically. I I started when this place opened, um, and I think the owner at the time just could see how much i like dogs basically and on your second and, uh, day it was like you're gonna run it <laughs> yeah pretty much I was like yeah, fine, I'm fine. <laughs> but yeah no, but because it, it started off slow it just started it was like it wasn't i weren't just chucked in and had to like get to know everything i kind of like started i worked from the start so i started seeing how it could operate and stuff like that so it wasn't too hard and whatnot so that's where you started dog training,
0: just mucking around with the dogs, in?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Like so, like, and then I started building different areas where I could take dogs. So I've kind of got smallish areas around the place because so I think that's actually like more beneficial for a lot of dogs. Is just instead of having loads and loads of dogs together, like having separate areas where they can chill and like just being mellow and stuff. Um, so I started. I built like a little area where. I can just do some like, really, really basic stuff um, with dogs. Like Sometimes I just take a new pup out and I'll just do, like, yes, food, yes, food, yes, food, and just start doing little things like that. Um, and then you can just – it's really it's really fun to see, like, the progression you can make if you just spend, like, literally five or ten minutes a day doing little things like that. Like, that's something I really try and promote. It's, like, just spend five or ten minutes doing something, like, engaging with your dog, like, Loading up the yes and stuff like that, and you just see like you just see so such quick progress in such a short time. I think, and that's why I did reporter because he's such a big dog. He had so much food like when he was a pup, so <laughs> I had like so many opportunities to reinforce everything that I wanted. And um I think that's probably why me and him have got such a good relationship because we just started young and we just did something pretty much every day. So how much and, time did you spend training then? while you were at this daycare and
0: I mean how many oh, dogs like did you have and... I doing little bits and bobs yeah yeah how many dogs did you have access to there
1: uh, probably between 30 and 40 oh wow that's that's. The I mean as someone that's getting
0: like... in, as someone that's getting into dog training even though I know that that wasn't your aim like that hmm. must be a hell of an apprenticeship to have 30 or 40 dogs that you can just but well, now, now like,
1: when I started out there wasn't that many there was like like six or seven, then we got up to like fifteen. So it was lucky that I started then because I could learn, and get experience with like dogs in general, in like groups and stuff. But yeah, it's it's like there's so many opportunities for me to train and learn from different types of dogs and whatnot. And I guess the more dogs I meet, the the less I know. I guess you know, I'm like holy shit, like I did not think that would happen, or I did not. I, that didn't work and all that stuff. So it's really it's really good for your experience. You do get to, like, be around a lot of dogs and get to know just how individual dogs are.
0: Did you have someone that really acted as a mentor then in, in to coming into coming into training? I really
1: never had a mentor. I never really... Um, no, I didn't, to be totally honest. It was all kind of just me learning on my own. I did, I, I'd always uh, like ask for help, though. So like I, I was never that person that thought I knew everything and wouldn't ask for help. I'd always ask or reach out for help. I and mean, I'd always be like, oh, if I need to change, I need to change.
0: So did you go through some kind
1: of qualification scheme? No, how did how- that another thing. I'm not, I've done like online courses uh-huh. and stuff like that, but no, I haven't actually done any qualification or I'm not qualified at all.
0: Uh-huh. Are you a member of any uh-huh. of the associations or anything like
1: that? Sorry? Are
0: you a member of any of the associations or...
1: Uh, I don't. I think I'm no. I'm not. I, I, I keep planning to. I keep planning to become a uh, the new Association of Dog Trainers New Zealand. I keep just. I just keep putting it off. To be honest, I guess another thing for me is like, how is it going to benefit me? You, know, like, you sound yeah. I like think <laughs> it's like, cool. like, if I'm totally honest, I'm just going to give them some money and say, yeah, sure, I'll train that way. But anyone can do that, you know.
0: I feel exactly the same way. I think when you. Have these associations? I want some proof that I'm getting value for money because I think a lot of the time, uh, a lot of these associations are, you know, give us the yearly fee and here's the logo, and it's like, <laughs> like I know you've got to give me something more than that
1: <laughs> because. I'm saying that, like the Association of Pet Dogs Training New Zealand here is a is really good organization, and um, they're really really nice people, um, and I probably will just just sign up at, at some point. I just haven't. But I, I do think it's a good thing to do because you can then get... Oh, to be fair, you do get discounts on the conference and stuff.
0: Um, well, if they're listening, then they should hook you up because you, you've got a... You know, you're building this following and you've got a hell of a mm-hmm. lot of fans and, uh, you know, I I think you're starting to get some real traction and you're starting to do some really big things. Really nice. oh. yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> so where can people... Got- if For the people that don't know you and haven't been following you... Where can they uh, uh,
1: find your material? It's all on Facebook. <clears throat> Everything I do is pretty much on Facebook. I have tried to go on Instagram, but I just—I'm not very good at it. To be honest, I'm, I don't really get the whole hashtag. I get it, but I don't see how people are doing it, <laughs> or I'm just really bad at it, or no one wants to see me on Instagram.
0: <laughs> I don't think I think that Facebook is the biggest
1: platform for dog training right now. I agree because I th- and I think it's the best way because you can you can do everything you can do video like longer videos whereas I think Instagram like you got a minute absolutely but with Facebook you can do like if you want ten minute videos or you can do a big old article and like you haven't got a cap on that so I think if yeah so I think Facebook is probably the most beneficial way to go
0: so that's Lewis Nichols dog training Lewis Nichols dog training yeah. All right, brilliant. And it's we, N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S? Yeah. Ah, right. it's brilliant. A I got that right.
1: <laughs> a lot of people get confused because, like, I'm also Taz as well. So, like, people are like, are you Taz? Are you Lewis? Or, like, different people. <laughs> but, like, Taz is just my nickname I've had since I was a kid. And if I, if I thought I was going to get, like, a big like, a following I've got at the moment, I would have probably put Taz Nichols. Well, it's probably not <laughs> too late to change it. Great talking to you. See. Cheers, Nick. That's been, been fun. Enjoyed it.
0: Hey, before you go, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, then you can really help me out by leaving an iTunes review. Doing that helps other people discover this show, so it's a huge help for me. The other thing is, me and Taz mentioned a huge amount of books and videos and things in this podcast, so if you want to save some time Googling to find them, then head over to nickbenger.com slash Taz hyphen Nichols, which is spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S. Until next time, good luck on your dog training journey.